Good evening. Welcome to Voice in the Wilderness. I'm Don Noble of Pure Heart Ministries, and I welcome you today with exceedingly great joy. Well, this was a glorious weekend to celebrate our Savior's death and resurrection, and I hope that it was a wonderful time with friends and family and that you had an opportunity to really think about, contemplate the cross and what that all means to us as believers. So tonight, I want to talk about just let it sink in. When the holidays are over, we are quick to move on to the next thing. Resurrection Sunday isn't one of those holidays to forget and just move on with life. Just let it sink in. And what I mean is, continue to meditate on the cross and the significant impact for all of society, and especially for you and I. The death of Jesus was a relief to the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council of Sadducees and Pharisees. The chief priests, the high priests, the Roman soldiers, the multitudes, in their depravity, rejoiced in the death of Jesus. Lots were even cast for his clothes. The soldiers laughed and were thrilled to see him scourged. The Sanhedrin stood by licking their chops. Thoughts were racing through their minds. We are through with him. He will be gone forever, out of our sight and out of our minds. It was a victorious moment for them, so they thought. Finally, the death of the imposter must have been what they were thinking the troublemaker, the liar, the deceiver, they called him, and the one who had a demon. They had partnered with death from the moment they started plucking out his beard, punching him in the face until the last nail was driven into his feet. They had aligned themselves with the spirit of death and were gleeful when Jesus took his last breath. To the faithful followers of Jesus and his disciples, it appeared that death was the victor. They were overcome with sadness when they heard Jesus say, It is finished. To them, finished meant the end. It was over, so they thought. The finality of his death struck deep in their hearts, and they wept. The spirit of death is an evil spirit, and I want to take this time tonight to really unpack that evil spirit. I want you to understand what we are, as Christians are up against. This same spirit that motivated the Sanhedrin and the multitudes is the same spirit operating today. Satan himself is the spirit of death. John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. 2,000 years later, here we are, and that same spirit of death has come like a tsunami, like a wave of death that has touched the shores of every nation. Let's take a look at the children they are currently the chief target of Satan, 
and the spirit of death. Teachers in our elementary schools want to steal their innocence by sexualizing them with pornography. Teacher unions have successfully brought gender confusion by allowing bathrooms to be used by all sexes, by refusing to allow titles such as girls or boys be used any longer. Think about this. I was just in an airport over the weekend. There are clearly delineated signs that say women's restroom and men's restroom. But for children, we want to remove the differentiation so little boys who think that they are a girl can go in the girl's bathroom. Then we have the critical race theory indoctrination in schools. We've talked about that before, where white children are made to feel guilty for being white. The spirit of death is working overtime in our school systems to steal the innocence from children, to destroy their identity of who God made them to be, and to kill their joyful soul by making them feel guilty for something they are not responsible for. Prior to COVID, according to a study in Canada, roughly 12% of children and adolescents experienced anxiety and depression. Two years after the pandemic, that number has doubled to roughly 25%. That's what happens when you mask children and isolate them. Clearly, another target of the spirit of death. A children's hospital in Canada saw a 200% increase in pediatric suicide attempts. Now, if that doesn't break your heart, if that doesn't awaken you, then you need shook up. And see, what I'm trying to get across to you tonight is our children are being targeted so severely, and we have to wake up. Some of you who are listening to me tonight, you are parents. Many are grandparents. You've got to get a hold of this stuff. You've got to make your voice heard in the school system. I can tell you that I know for a fact that some of this is already going on in the Ohio County schools because I know a parent. And this was a good six to seven years ago where a teacher at Lindsley, at the great Lindsley School, was actually uh, trying to get students to look at pornographic pictures. So don't be so naive to think that because we live in this nice little town in West Virginia, that we aren't being targeted by the enemy because we are. It doesn't matter whether you live in the United States, whether you live in Japan, whether you live in Brazil. It's the same enemy, 
It's the same spirit of death, and it is working in every nation. So we must wake up and protect, protect our children. Now, we, I want to take us to a darker side of things. Children as young as 12 years old are victims now of sex trafficking. Traffickers target their victims through telephone chat lines, clubs, on the street, through friends, at malls, and using girls to recruit other girls at after-school programs. Cases of human trafficking have been reported in all 50 states. So again, we can't be so naive to think that because we live in a nice little community that sex trafficking isn't taking place, I can assure you that it is taking place even in Ohio County. Now, I want you to think about it like this. There's a bullseye on the back of every child, not just here in America, but around the world. And they are the number one target for the evil one. Fentanyl deaths are now taking out the 20 and 30-year-olds because it is freely coming from China across that southern border. If we lose this generation, what will become of our nation? They are the future. They are the future teachers. They are the future electricians. They are the future lawyers, doctors, mechanics. If we lose this generation, we will be in a very bad place. The same spirit, the same spirit of death that took out Jesus is still alive and well today. Now, there was a wonderful intended end in the death of Jesus, so I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. I want you to recognize this evil spirit and counter it with the spirit of life. When Jesus walked the earth during his ministry, he released the spirit of life wherever he went. We remember the story of Lazarus, who had died. And Jesus came and brought him back from death to life. Thousands of people who had deadly diseases were healed by Jesus. The demoniac of the Gadarenes, who was possessed of the devil, was set free and got to experience life abundantly. And I'm sure he isn't the only one that had demons or was demon-possessed. I'm sure there were many others that Jesus set free. And of course, John tells us that there were many, many more things that Jesus accomplished that aren't even written about in the Gospels. Jesus was the life giver, and he still is the life giver. So as you meditate on the cross, it should become a life-giving force to you. There is healing in the atonement for your soul and for your body. Thank him for giving you eternal life, the greatest gift our Lord gave us. There is healing for our mind, 
and our body as well. The new covenant we have was purchased with his blood. And by dying on the cross, Christ became the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice whose blood has the power to wash away sin forever. The blood of Jesus broke the power of death, hell, and the grave. Not just that we aren't going to die, but we have the power, we have power over the spirit of death. I kind of look at it like this. So when I look at the cross, I see resurrection life. That's, that's what comes to my mind. I see resurrection life. I see that this sinless Savior who was scourged, beaten to a place where he was unrecognizable. But I see that when he was put in that tomb, and that tomb was found empty on the third day, and we know that he was resurrected, well, that says, hey, there's life resurrection life. It's that power of resurrection resurrection life. And the Bible says we were once dead in our sins, but now alive in Christ. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Paul writes, and you he made alive, referring to us, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us, in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
say hallelujah. Think about that for a moment. Think about where you were. Paul says, yeah. We once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. Each one of us were out there. Before we knew Jesus, we were fulfilling the desires of our flesh and our mind. And boy, oh boy, we were nature, were by nature children of wrath. But thank God for his mercy, which is rich, and he loved us with a great love. So we are his workmanship, created by Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And, you know, we have to remember that at one time we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and we were strangers from the covenants of promise, without hope. There was a point in time before you knew Christ, you had no hope. And you didn't have God. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And because of his blood, we have been given his life, his joy, his peace, his wisdom, his light, his truth, his glory, his faith, his hope his sonship, his strength, and his dunamis resurrection power. Romans 8, 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. We have the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus operating in us because of the cross. In Genesis 2, 8 through 9, it says, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden. Every day, Adam and Eve ate of that tree until they sinned. Then God removed them from the garden so they would not eat again from the tree of life and live forever, meaning they would have been destined to live forever in their fallen state, in bodies subject to sickness, degeneration, and infirmity. You see, it was God's mercy that prevented them from returning to Eden. God had a plan to redeem mankind. The Godhead had a better way. Jesus said in John 6, 48 through 51, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. There's that word again, life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. You see, in both instances, the tree of life in the garden and the manna in the wilderness were supernatural representations of Christ. They were life-giving, 
and life-sustaining. There are so many gifts that we have received from Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. The shedding of his blood gave us 24-7 access to him. When he took his last breath, the Gospel of Mark says, Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now that veil was 60 feet high. It was as uh, thick as the the, um, breadth of your hand. And it separated the uh, holy place from the Holy of Holies, where on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go in to make atonement for the sins of Israel. But see, that veil, the Bible says, was torn in two from top to bottom. And that was a beautiful picture of removing access. In other words, it gave us access to the Holy of Holies. In other words, as believers, we can enter that Holy of Holies anytime we desire to access our tree of life, Jesus Christ. When we ponder the cross, one of those gifts of life that he gave us was his peace. Isaiah 53, that entire chapter, is a prophetic picture and word of Jesus dying on the cross for us and what the real meaning of the power of his blood is all about. Verse 5 says the chastisement for our peace was upon him. That word chastisement means punishment. So the punishment for our peace, for us to obtain peace, was upon Jesus. This aspect of the cross was the most profound manifestation of the justice of God. When we were unbelievers, before we were born again, we were enemies of God. This punishment that Christ endured, that horrific suffering, procured our peace. In other words, Christ obtained our peace with great effort and sacrifice in order for us to have peace with him. It was our peace, our general well-being, our blessedness that that his punishment on the cross secured. So the shed blood of Jesus brought us into a state of peace and favor with God. The world around us is in a state of anxiety, fear, and hopelessness. Even many in the church are anxious and fearful. Yet, we have nothing, nothing to be fear, fearful or anxious about. Scripture says our times are in his hands. And if you are not living in that sweet perfect peace. It could be that the spirit of death has orchestrated for you to walk in enough fear that it will drive you to drink to excess, possibly do drugs, or find solace in something that will crush any peace in your life. 
We know that COVID caused many to seek alcohol, drugs, and other excesses to bring peace in their life. But there is no peace without Jesus. There just isn't. And if you can feel yourself beginning to be anxious about something, maybe you're anxious about getting the new variant of the COVID virus. Focus on the cross. Focus on the punishment that Jesus took for your peace. You see, fear is an evil spirit as well. And often, very often, these two spirits work together, the spirit of fear and the spirit of death. They just work together. You and I, as believers in Christ, have been given dunamis power over these spirits. We command, we can, can command them to go and then ask the Holy Spirit to release his peace to us. You see, peace is the abundant life, period. When Jesus said he came to give us life and life more abundantly, he was talking about us living each day in that sweet place of peace. Christ is the Prince of Peace. His life in us is that most rewarding peace, peace that the world cannot give us. So look to the cross. Just let it sink in. Life, life, life brings peace, peace, peace. And peace brings joy. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. The life giver and the peacemaker. So turn your eyes on Jesus and just let it sink in. Well, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can download the iHeartRadio app and write in Pure Heart Ministries to listen to this podcast again, or you can go to www.pureheart.today to listen to it. And I am waiting, I am waiting, waiting, waiting on you to email me, Dawn, all lowercase words, letters, Dawn at pureheart.today. Please email me, talk to me, I want to hear from you. And thank you always for praying. I'm greatly appreciative of that. And if you would like to help support this ministry, you can write me at pureheartministries.com. P.O. Box 85, Valley Grove, West Virginia, 26060. Remember, folks, just let it sink in. I look forward to being with you next week. This is Dawn Noble. Shalom, shalom. Peace be unto you.